If you use the internet on a daily basis, and chances are you do, you probably don't put much thought into cybersecurity. You know, your network connections, the pages you visit, the files you download. You should be thinking about these all the time. Welcome to And Security for All. Your host is Kim Hakem. We're here to help you understand, in general terms, how and why your cybersecurity should be kept in check. Now, here is Kim Hakem. Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. I'm Kim Hakem, your host. Welcome to another episode of And Security for All. As most of you know, I'm also the CEO of FutureCon Events. So thank you, everyone, for joining us for another week of And Security for All. We have two types of listeners today. We have all of our guests from um, Voice America that listen to us on a weekly uh, basis. Thank you for joining us today. And then we have our LinkedIn Live listeners that are joining us. So thanks everyone for being here for another uh, great show. We just came off of our St. Louis Cybersecurity Conference, which was Wednesday, and that is actually our home base. And I am proud to say that that event was our, it was so packed. It was back to what things used to look like before COVID. And I keep saying that all year in 2023. So they just keep getting better and better, our events. People are itching to come out and see people. We had so many people that we had to beg the chef at the hotel to make more meals and more food because we had more people than we anticipated. It was really great. We had um, had a couple of CISOs that did our... um, keynote speaker. We had Mark Ashworth, who's the CISO from First Bank. And then we had uh, Andrew Hildebrand, who is a CISO and an adjunct professor at WashU. And they definitely packed the house. So we have um, a couple of weeks that we're on a little bit of a break, which has been nice because we have been back to back doing events all over the country. But in the month of July, we are heading out to Orange County. Super excited for that. And then right after that, uh, we go to Tampa. So if any of you all are listening and you would like to join our events, just ping me on LinkedIn or if you have my email, message me or email me and I will make sure I get you tickets. All of our events run in a virtual, um, they're a hybrid. So they do run virtually along with the live. So anyone can join us at any given time. Today, um, I actually have one of our guests, another great guest, Shamin Nabiv. He is the CEO of Safely Share, and today um, I'm excited about having him on the um, show. We're going to talk about AI model and data governance in the cloud. He's an experienced CEO and uh a co-founder with a passion for advancing the field of artificial intelligence and machine learning, ensuring its ethical and responsible use. He's proud that Lead Safely shares an innovative AI governance platform, leveraging the power of confidential computing. That was a little bit of a tongue twist, but uh, Shamim, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Kim. Nice to be here. How are you today? I'm doing fine. Awesome. And you, we, we were talking pre-show. I saw you out in D.C. and then in Philadelphia. So are you? do you guys typically try to stay around or, or do you typically work with more government, government um, no, we, users? Or? No, we don't uh, have any government involvement at all. Uh, it just so oh, okay. that, uh, our, uh, 
our marketing people thought uh, that the FutureCon events would be a very nice place to to meet and greet customers, etc. So we uh, showed up at FutureCon Washington D.C., which is when I first it was my first time at a FutureCon event, and it was very pleasant. It was very nice, and thank you for your gracious hospitality. And of we then came to Philadelphia and met you a second time as well. So it was great. Yeah, and we have you guys signed up for a few more shows, so we're excited to have you back. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about you and your background and um, how you got started in the industry and how you got all the way up to being the CEO of Safely Share. Well, I, uh, I was born in Pakistan, and, 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 but I went to school in the UK, early boarding school as well as college. And then I, didn't, I came to the US uh, uh, to go to graduate school at uh, Northwestern, which is in the north of Chicago. Uh, finished up and uh, had the great fortune of, being, uh, of, of getting a job offer from Bell Labs in Murray Hill, New Jersey. So ended up in, in the Bell system, which was, uh, uh, which was a part of the, uh, uh, the uh, AT&T network at that time. Um, and was in the Unix Research Lab for a number of years and worked with some extremely well-known people, learned my trade from there. Uh, spent a number of years in the Bell System, was very fortunate to work with these very, very talented, experienced, well-known people and learned a lot from there. We then, I, I then uh, sort of ended up uh, getting into the startup community as well. Um, so did a startup in the Boston, Massachusetts area, and then that was followed by two other startups. Now I'm in Safely Share, which is my fourth startup. Uh, this one is not in the Boston, Massachusetts area. It's in the outskirts of uh, New York City. Um, and, and here we are today. So that's a very brief sort of rundown of how, do I, how I came to be at Safely Share. Well, I would love to hear about your first three startups. So did you start those up and how did those, did they evolve into being bought out by someone else or what were the, what were your first three startups? Well, the first one was called Winforia Networks and, and it was, we started it in Tewksbury, Massachusetts. I had a co-founder as well in there. We were both ex Bell Labs engineers. We had an idea. We uh, were fortunate to speak to some uh, VCs on the East Coast, as well as a West Coast uh, VC firm. We got funded to, to, to build what is now known as the uh, Motorola push to talks solution in those days. This was in the early 2000s. Uh, and after three years, we sold the company to Motorola and it is and, uh, the, the uh, push to talks solution used to be uh, the, uh, well, congratulations. Yeah. Congratulations on company number one. So yeah. now tell us about company number two. <laughs> yeah. The company number two was a financial modeling company, which we, uh, uh, which, uh, came up with the idea of, uh, algorithmic trading, uh, a, a certain type of algorithmic trading models. Um, and, and it used certain uh, AI and database and data governance techniques, etc. Um, and we sold that to a hedge fund in Chicago called Morningstar. Uh, and, and that was a nice outcome as well. 
like to work. I, I live for the work, I suppose, in some sense. I am often accused of not making a distinction between work and pleasure because I think the, my work is extremely pleasurable to me. Well, that's amazing. So now you, so you, you sell company number two. So how long do you, do you, did you take off between like these, these different um, companies? Did you take any time off or did you just dive right back in? No, uh, not a significant amount of time. I don't remember exactly how many months, et cetera, but it wasn't years or, or something. Uh, the gap between the third and fourth was a couple of years for family reasons. We, I, I had moved out of the New Jersey area uh, to, as I mentioned, into Boston, Massachusetts. And so I moved back and uh, resettled and, and took care of some family things and matters, et cetera, with kids and school and college and things like this. Uh, but generally speaking, I, I didn't take a significant amount of time out uh, between the first three companies, which I did. And so then what was your third, like, the, what was the, your third? The third one was uh, a video communications uh, startup called Alice, uh, Alice Networks, also in the Boston, Massachusetts area. And we were interested in using 3G and 4G communication networks to do wireless video phone calls, etc. Uh, Did that happen to start like during the pandemic or was that prior? A little prior to the pandemic, a few years prior to the pandemic. In fact, if it had been in the middle of the pandemic, we would have done wonderfully well. But as it right. was, we, we did okay, but not it, it, it was not a great outcome. It was an okay outcome. So now here you are at Safely Share. So how did you... Um, it, it, all three of those are a little bit different, you know, we, each of those companies. And so now here you are over, you know, with an AI model. How did you evolve into that? And tell us a little bit about what you're doing at Safely Share and, and how you decided to, you know, uh, move into um, this realm of cybersecurity. Yeah, well, it's related to the to what you asked a few minutes earlier uh, about um, about the uh, time between the three different firms or the fourth one. It's, it's all about having an idea. Uh, in in uh, my case, it, it, each one of the companies that I've done has, has been based on some new sort of idea that you get. And, and there is no timing that you can place on that. You get an idea when you get an idea. And then once you have an idea and, and, and you vet the idea out. You talk to friends, you talk to family, you talk to your colleagues, you talk to people who know, uh, who, who, give, who can give you a lot of guidance, etc. You start talking to potential customers uh, and you formulate the basics of the idea. You get, an, uh, you, you get some notions of how, of how you're going to market, um, how you're going to go to market, what is the product fit, etc. And all of those issues start to become uh, germane. So in this particular case, uh, Safely Share uh, was uh, started because I, I had become interested in data privacy. Uh, in uh, grad school, I, I had been interested in machine learning. And in, in, in fact, my, my thesis topic was uh, machine learning itself. It, uh, it was not even close to what it is today. But in those days, it, it, uh, it was mostly about expert systems and uh, knowledge-based systems and uh, uh, representation of knowledge uh, 
uh, knowledge networks and data networks, etc., semantics of uh, knowledge networks, etc. So the, the notion was around data privacy or personal privacy, and, and that is the basis of Safely Share as well, about how do you keep information private, how do you keep information uh, protected, and how do you maintain the privacy and confidentiality of information. So that was the set. We, I, I had a set of ideas on that, uh, started to uh, discuss those ideas with some friends of mine. I, I have two co-founders in the company, and they are also ex-Bell Labs engineers. Uh, we ended up, the three of us, talking about a lot of these ideas. And we, after extensive sort of conversations between ourselves and between our co between potential partners and colleagues, etc., uh, we were able to uh, attract some funding and uh, start the company in August of 21. Uh, founded the company in August of 21, and then we attracted a seed round in the first part of 22. So we are about two years old almost in some sense. And we're very happy with how we've made progress. Well, that's awesome. Congratulations on that. How, you know, being someone, you know, I put out events, so every other week or every week I'm seeing, you know, lots of different vendors. What is the, um, and lots of new, you know, lots of things have really changed post-pandemic. I feel a lot like a lot of the old staple names that we've been hearing about forever, um, you know, they're partnering, you know, newer companies are partnering with them. So we're seeing newer names like Safely Share at our events. So how is the competition and is it tough for you? Because, you know, there's just so many different vendors doing so many different things. Well, I think I, 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 I think that it's always good to have uh, a few competitors. It would be very scary for me if I didn't have any competitors at all. It, it means I'm doing something really crazy and, and, and I would start to question the space in which I was uh, working as to why no, why no one else is interested in that space. So having a few competitors is, is actually a little soothing and comfortable. It's good. Having a lot of competitors obviously is not good because then you, 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 you have many more fights on your hands in some sense. Um, right. Right. So we, 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 do, have, uh, we do have competitors. Uh, it's a, it's a very hot topic in some sense, and particularly when you bring in machine learning and AI and AI governance, etc., issues and data issues, uh, the field of competitors becomes larger. Uh, um, uh, but but there are I think the problems are important and varied enough that there is room for a lot of innovation in this space, and and. Uh, uh, we are we are we are extremely fortunate to be in this space. I think a lot of good work is being done and needs to be done. I think that it'll have tremendous impact on our society as a whole. I actually um, have noticed in two thousand twenty three our attendees that are coming to our events. Um, we're really particular, first off, you know, about making sure we get the right attendees at our events. But I am seeing a lot of senior level you know, security practitioners and, you know, C-level practitioners coming because they are seeing new names and new faces in the industry and they are trying to get away, 
you know, from, you know, the old names and see what, uh, what innovations are out there. And then oddly enough, some of your, are, you know, Palo Alto, you know, I haven't seen them at an event in years and years. And now I'm seeing, you know, the Palo Altos and the big guys, the crowd strikes coming back around thinking, okay, I better get back into these, you know, smaller events. I better not just stay at the huge events because our name share is kind of, um, having a run for its money with the smaller companies that are coming in and doing a lot of our events. So it is interesting, but, um, Tell us a little bit like today's topic is AI model and data governance in the cloud for our and security for all listeners on Voice America. Can you kind of um, give us a synopsis of what that means and um, what, what we're going to talk about with that topic? Yeah. Well, so first of all, I, I don't think uh, there would be anybody in the, in, uh, in our audience today who hasn't, uh, heard about artificial intelligence and machine learning sort of things that are going on in the world today. These are extremely important uh, once-in-a-lifetime sort of technologies that have happened. Of course, the field of uh, AI and machine learning is very old. It's, 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 uh, uh, you, can, you, can, you can say that the foundations of AI and machine learning were built in the 1940s and 50s even with the work in perceptrons, etc., then there was a phase in the 1970s and 80s in, in, in uh, which uh, there was a spurt of new sort of innovative work that happened. Then it sort of cooled down a little bit in the, towards, the, towards the 1990s or so, or early 2000s. But then it picked up again. And now with ChatGPT and uh, these uh, large language models, etc., there's been a tidal wave of sea, a sea change has happened. So these are extremely important technological innovations that are happening uh, that are happening in society today, and 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 the tech has never been more sort of exciting and more impactful. Uh, from from the cars that we drive, from the cybernetic control systems that we use, uh, there is hardly any field. That 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 does not impact us, which is which is not using some form of AI and uh, machine learning, etc. So, extremely important. When you couple that with the idea of uh, so so one thing that perhaps people don't understand is that uh, AI uh, and and machine learning systems are sort of represented by these foundational models or large uh, language models such as Chat GPT, etc., are essentially based on enormously large amounts of data. These are data intensive uh, programs, computer programs that, uh, that, that use very large amounts of data to derive the, to ferret out the interrelationships between the data. And, 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 and it, it's the extensive set of relationships within the data, inherent in the data that is being extracted by these models and, and, and which is used to make these predictions and forecasts and disease analysis and image recognition, etc. That because of the central importance of data in all this exercise, that, that is the, in some sense, the foundation of these systems, uh, cybersecurity issues are even more important now than they were before. Because 
if, if you're going to base a lot of things on data, then you need to protect the data as well. So all the issues around data security and data privacy become even more meaningful and impactful and crucial and critical and, uh, and important. So because of the impact of AI and machine learning, we are, we are as a society, we are concerned about the bias uh, that these uh, systems should be free of, uh, free of all kinds of biases. They should not be discriminatory if uh, uh, loan and credit and credit uh, credit worthiness of people is going to be decided by uh, machine learning systems. We need to ensure that there is a fairness in these systems, that there is a notion of ethics and responsibility exhibited by these systems. Uh, uh, that that the that the uh, uh, autonomous cars that we drive are safe and and free of problems of data piracy and data and and data privacy etc so all of those issues because of the impactful nature of these systems become even more important in maintaining uh, the governance structures that surround data privacy and data confidentiality and data security so this is all extremely important. So it, there are a bunch of firms, of course, that are building these machine learning systems and, and, and building AI systems, etc. But just as crucially, there is an ecosystem that needs to exist that surrounds the, these AI systems and makes sure that there are, there are notions of fairness and transparency and uh, non-biasness that, that, that gets built into these systems as well. Then, of course, that when these, once these systems are deployed, there's a whole series of threat vectors, attack vectors that have started to emerge in the community. And, and cybersecurity individuals are worried about maintaining uh, the, uh, the integrity of these systems that are, that are at, a, at a faster and faster pace getting deployed in the, in the, in the world around us. So it's all sort of happening at a very fast pace but it's all about data security, data privacy, uh, data confidentiality, and the removal of uh, bias uh, uh, and introducing in, uh, notions of fairness and transparency in the AI and machine learning systems that, that we use going forward. Where are we? How have we evolved when we talk about in the auto automobile industry and with AI and these cars and, you know, I haven't talked about that on the show in a long time, but, you know, before, uh, it's not like I'm seeing cars pass me with no drivers yet. So um, where are we with that and yeah. how safe, you know, how, how is that going to, how is no. that going to evolve? And are we ever going to get to a place where we're going to feel safe that, you know, uh, I personally wouldn't want to be a passenger in a car that's driving me with no driver. Yeah, no, I think there's there's a notion of misunderstanding uh, of the issues. I, I I don't want to forecast how how long it will take for self-driving cars to happen in a meaningful way. I mean, it you can you can now go from point A to point B in some cases, but it's still a rarity. But the use of smart technologies in uh, cars is sort of increasing. I'll I'll give you a simple example. Uh, I back out of my driveway uh, whenever I, I leave my house. And there is 
I, I live on a rather busy street. And there's always the possibility that some uh, oncoming traffic will be as I back out of my driveway. Because I'm too lazy to drive with, uh, facing front, so I, I sort of back out in the driveway. And I use the rear view facing camera, uh, which has a oncoming traffic sensor. And I noticed the other day that I had become so, in, in a subconscious manner, I had become so dependent on hearing a beep of the oncoming traffic that I uh, hardly ever look in the rear view mirror anymore. I, I sort of depend on the car as I'm backing out to detect if there is any oncoming traffic before I uh, reverse into the car and go my way. So this is not self-driving. It is becoming dependent on a safety system being provided by the car technology. And that safety, and that safety system is uh, using uh, machine recognition technology or uh, image uh, recognition technology. So I am not a proponent. Uh, I, uh, today I would certainly not, I, I think like you, I, I would not like to be in a self-driving car. But I am absolutely sure that I want to have uh, smart security systems in my car that, that, that help me with pre-collision detection or, or oncoming traffic detection or lane assist in which the car is kept in the lane as I perhaps uh, am, am, am not being as careful in, uh, in uh, keeping the car between the two uh, traffic lines on the road, etc. So we start to depend on these uh, smart security systems in, in uh, cars. Uh, almost at a subconscious uh, level, we, ta we start taking them for granted. I mean, I, 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 was, I was listening to my son the other day who has just learned to drive, and, and he said, Dad, let's make sure that the, the new, and, and he's using an older car which doesn't have a lot of security features. And he said to me, Dad, let's make sure that we get a car next time that has a lot of security features. I, I've, I've, I've started to use them myself. So, so that was uh, quite welcome to, to, to hear from him. That's where I think the action is going to be. We become dependent on these uh, smart systems to help us navigate traffic in smart cars. Uh, whether we get to the point of uh, uh, a, a traffic infrastructure that allows widespread use of self-driving cars in which we sit in the back seat and the car drives itself, and, I'm not sure that that is uh, an interesting discussion to have at this time. The sort of interesting discussion to have at this time is, are we starting to depend on the safety features being provided by the car? Uh, we, we now have- I, Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, we, we, yeah. we smartphones integrated into, into our cars. Some of the more recent new cars, if you are a passenger on the front seat, you have your own, uh, display technology now available to you on the passenger side and you can look at videos and you can start doing YouTube and, and, and sort of other things. And is that going to be distractions? So can the car help, can the car uh, look at you as you drive and notice that you are, dist that you are doing distracted driving? Um, well, and it, it's, it's interesting that you talk about like your younger son because my youngest, um, when she was 16, 
Well, she didn't. She's the youngest of three, but she didn't really start driving until she was 17. But I bought her an older car, like some Jeep that not not like a Jeep Jeep, like a, you know, that and it had no, you know, I just went to I had a friend that owned a warehouse that they sold cars. So I wanted to go someplace to just get something for cash, knowing I've had two other drivers that I'm not buying anything expensive because there's going to be some something's going to happen and yeah but so i do feel like and it did she ended up like with probably within about a month of having the car she had an accident in my driveway and hit my retaining wall to my backyard which was not the i was really upset but really in hindsight you know i'm glad a it happened she was, if she was going to have an accident glad it happened on my property not on the highway but it has made her a better driver because she's had to become aware. Now, if she would have had a security feature, she would have never hit my retaining wall and it wouldn't have cost me thousands and thousands of dollars to fix the retaining wall. But I do feel like it has made her a better driveway and we, a better driver. And we have a really narrow driveway and um, our two other cars, you know, the security, it, it'll stop us if we're going to hit, you know, like we're back. To, it's, it's just a really narrow driveway. So you could hit a wall. It'll stop us. But she doesn't have any security on hers. And she has no idea what it even feels like to drive a car with security exactly. on it. So I, I feel like it's good for the younger ones to start like we did. So you can become a more defensive driver. But then it is also good to have that safety feature on your child, you know, your, your young one that you're putting on the road. So I feel like there's pros and cons on both yeah. ways yeah. No, of the security I, features. When I came to your FutureCon event in uh, Washington, D.C., I drove, from New, I drove from New Jersey to D.C. because it was the most efficient use of my time. Uh, it turned out that I had a bunch of other sort of tasks to do, so uh, driving to your event was easiest. And I noticed that my my uh, smart car uh, uh, sort of advised me a couple of times uh, that I should take a rest and have a cup of coffee because of the way I was mm-hmm. driving. Uh, uh, the car detected that perhaps I was not fully sort of attentive. Now, I don't know the metrics it used to do that. I can take a guess. Maybe my, my hands were not in the right uh, position on the steering wheel or, or, or maybe they were off the steering wheel. But it, but I actually listened to this advice, and I did uh, turn into a rest stop and, and took a few minutes off. And these sort of things are, are, are meaningful and secure. So I think that my, my point is that, uh, number one, these are very important things that we start to use in our daily lives, and they become, and we become more and more dependent on them. And the third point I want to make is that, therefore, the data that goes into making these kinds of uh, decision-making systems a part of our daily uh, routine and, 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 and our daily lives, we, should, we have to ensure that, they, that the data going into these systems is secure and, and hasn't been poisoned uh, has, 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 and there are no malicious parties that have been able to inject uh, erroneous or dangerous data into these machine learning systems that form the basis of these uh, safety features in, in uh, cars. So kind of shifting gears a little bit, um, no pun intended there. Um, what, um, 
how is AI used in the cloud? So how do we wrap our head around that? You know, that I think that's a really interesting question. Well, there are all kinds of uses uh, from from the playful use that a lot of non-technical people do. I mean, I I, I have some friends and they're uh, and one of them just had a grandchild, and and uh, he told me that he had asked uh, a certain AI system to compose a poem for his grandchild. Um, so so uh, in and and uh, with certain specific features and characteristics. Um, so, so that's a playful use, fun use, uh, from to slightly more serious where, where students are using it to craft essays and, and, and uh, get, get help with their searches and doing background research, etc. So those are, so those are this. And to, to now, of course, more sort of, uh, to more technical uh, uses, uh, a lot of uh, large language models and 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 transformer models, etc., are uh, coming with technical are are coming with APIs and uh, and and various kinds of uh, various kinds of interfaces, and they are becoming a, and they are being uh, and they are being uh, they are being integrated into the technology stacks into the tech stacks of various companies. It is now possible to take what is almost freely, in some cases, freely available. It's in the uh, open source community or even not, not sort of very sort of expensive if you, if you plan to pay for it, um, to use what is available in the marketplace today uh, and, and craft new AI systems that would have taken months to build you um, reduce the building time to, to, to weeks and days. And these are very interesting small systems that uh, emerge from tech stacks in which, which, which sort of integrated uh, around the idea of these new models which are, which are becoming generally, uh, generally available. So all kinds of usages uh, from the playful to uh, educational to technical, and and the results are for all to see and use. Right? We are we 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 now start to uh, see uh, the 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 use of text generation uh, uh, text generation systems uh, making making uh, big use of large language models. Uh, uh, we're doing a lot of writing, etc., using help from these large language models. We are uh, we're we're using image recognition systems in a in a variety of ways. Our, our public infrastructure is is uh, being is 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 now being uh, defended and made secure using a lot of uh, threat detection, intrusion detection, etc. So. A very large variety of uses are coming to the fore. So, what kind of um, data governance um, are we seeing, like in the cloud, particularly duplicated data? And the reason I ask that is, I was seeing this morning Brian Krabs. I'm sure you might know who Brian Krabs is. He, and maybe you don't, but he's a big influencer in the cybersecurity community. And I try to 
read his stuff. And he was showing something that I probably would have been fooled by. And I want to copy it and send it to my team. But, you know, when we get an email that may look like a phishing attack, you know, we, we go straight to look at the URL. Now, you know, this he showed two URLs and now they're slightly changing the letter of an A, you know, like maybe in bank. And he, he compared the two, you know, you just say U.S. Bank. He compared U.S. Bank dot com and U.S. Bank dot com and that A was slightly off a little bit, and that was the phishing one. So what are we, are we seeing more, um, you know, tricky, yeah. more duplicated, and, and how do we stay ahead of that? And what else are you seeing in the cloud? Like you're, uh, you're, you're, you're asking a very, a very important question and, uh, and, and, and a very sort of uh, insightful question. These kinds of attacks are called uh, evasion attacks. These are very carefully crafted uh, input data sets that are intended to fool uh, the the machine learning system during its training phase or in or during its retraining phase. You can slightly alter uh, certain uh, letters or signs and fool them and fool the model into thinking something very. Different. So, for example, there are known examples, known in the literature, of where uh, evasion attacks were able to fool a, a uh, uh, system in in a, a smart car system from uh, misunderstanding a stop sign to a speed limit sign. And uh, imagine if this uh, happened in a real. A, you would not like to be in a car that did not that that you were somehow depending on seeing a stop sign and and and, and it completely misunderstood the stop sign and took it for a speed limit sign etc so these are the kinds of attacks that happen uh, and it underscores the point i was trying to make earlier uh, as 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 these systems become more and more of a part of our daily lives uh, and we start to depend on them whether we like it or not, we will start to, de to depend on these features. Uh, it'll become very, very important that we somehow figure out how uh, malicious attacks, such as uh, evasion attacks, get, get taken care of. And there's no known trick. I mean, I, 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 I wish I could tell you that there is a technology uh, available today, or I have an invention or a patent on some technology that would stop uh, evasion attacks. Nobody does. Uh, it's, 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 uh, it's the old way in, in which you used to get a radar detector to, to, to uh, stop getting speeding tickets. But of course, the, the, the cops had better radar detectors than uh, you do. So uh, it's a never-ending race. Uh, evasion attacks will continue to happen. We need to monitor. We need to understand how to counter these threats. But uh, a fail-safe approach isn't possible. And it's only one type of attack. Uh, evasion attacks are only one type of attack. There are many other forms of attacks that are coming to the fore. As this technology grows, newer and newer forms of attacks will come on. I, 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 can, I can mention a few more. So, for example, there are data poisoning attacks that are being uh, starting to being detected in in which 
the input data to a machine learning system. And I already highlighted for you that the input data is of crucial importance to the to the machine learning process itself. So the if you can poison, if you can add malicious or wrong or uh, erroneous data to your input data sets, uh, you will impact the learnability of the function or the machine learning function. So, uh, and those attacks are called data poisoning attacks and, and, and those attacks are on the rise. There are attacks in which uh, you carefully craft a series of questions that you ask of the system and, for, and then you look at the responses of the system to figure out whether a certain kind of private or confidential information was used in the training of that machine learning system. You might recall a few years ago, there was a TV show called 20 Questions in which you were allowed, uh, members of the audience were allowed to ask it up to 20 questions whose answers were yes or no. And, and from that, you were, you were asked to, uh, to figure out the identity of a person. Uh, and and in, a, in a similar fashion, if you have a question answering machine learning system, if you are allowed to ask a series of questions, in some cases, you can figure out private confidential information of somebody that the system might know and would normally you would not expect for the system to blurt out that kind of information, but 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 you can extract it by very by very carefully reasoned set of questions and answers. So those kinds of attacks are there. Powerful systems have powerful consequences, and and the uh, phishing attacks are, were were uh, a very powerful way when the technology was not so powerful. It was only in terms of uh, simple email systems. But now we are going to have much more powerful systems and the attacks that we're going to see are going to be much more powerful and much more impactful. I'm sorry to say, but that is what it's going to be. So what are we seeing now? You know, we know a lot of this, these attacks come from nation state bad actors or, you know, but what about the, the, the scams that are happening here in the United States? Are we seeing any you know, consequences of these people getting caught on, you know, until, you know, until there's a price to pay, I, you know, talking about nation state is a whole different, you know, way out of my realm because that's, you know, federal stuff that whatever's happening at the White House. But um, what are with the Secret Service and all that? But what's happening in the United States to, you know, these criminals that are here, you know, um, like, We've seen some on reality TV, you know, there, there was somebody that went to jail because she was scamming, you know, all these, you know, um, older people with different types of false promises, but they were really essentially phishing attacks. So are we seeing the law coming down on um, these attackers? We don't really hear about that stuff on the news. I mean, it would only be people like you that probably, you know, know about it, but it's yeah. not common local interesting news stories no there's so first a little preamble uh, somebody sent me uh in an uh, email message a few days ago a conversation between a certain famous person and chat gpt and 
I could not tell uh, whether this was a joke or whether this conversation had actually taken place between this rather famous person and, and, and this machine learning system. Uh, and and I am supposed to be an expert. I, I, I mean, I'm, 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 I am not a common uh, person on the street, uh, a member of the laity. I, 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 I've had several years of exposure to this technology. So I couldn't tell whether the conversation actually happened or, or, the, or it was a contrived thing. Uh, very sophisticated bits of conversations are, are, are being done. Uh, if you look at a conversation between, let's say, for instance, Chat GPT four and 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 uh, and yourself or something, it may have certain errors, and and be, some some people are very fond of pointing out that look, Chat GPT made a mistake here or did a mistake there or something like that. But actually, the much more dangerous uh, thing is that the mistakes that these machine learning systems make are very subtle now; they're becoming harder to detect. Obvious mistakes don't scare me, but subtle mistakes, it, if, if it's going to take an expert to figure out that you, something that the system is trying to tell you or, or tells you actually is wrong, that's a very scary thing, that, that, that you can no longer make a distinction between what is right and what is wrong. In this conversation that somebody sent me, there was a mathematical argument that had been made and the answer that the machine learning system gave was wrong, but it was given in such a plausible manner that unless you were a mathematician, you, 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 would, you would assume it to be right. So that's one thing. Um, I, uh, normally when some new technology happens, most of the people get wrapped up in advancing the power and sophistication of that technology. Uh, this, this happened, for instance, and this is a terrible example, but I, it, it's the first one that comes to mind, is that when the, when the, the uh, nuclear technology was first invented in the Second World War, it was followed by a phase in which uh, people figured out more and more powerful uh, uh, weapons and bombs, etc., with more capacity and power. Uh, it was much later that the security uh, features uh, were, 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 were sort of became uh, uh, became of much more concern. Um, quite fortunately, this time around, a number of people have, have started to raise the alarms about the dangers of these machine learning and AI systems, including President Biden, who I, who I think has taken an initiative in a couple of ways, uh, quite, quite, uh, quite well known in which the, in which the White House has publicly announced support for server, for cybersecurity features and for taking machine learning, uh, making it safer and, and more responsible and ethical and guarding uh, civil liberties and uh, civil rights, etc. So there is a lot more needs to be done, uh, but, but uh, I think that there is an encouraging amount of concern amongst uh, the technical community, the technological community, as, 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 as well as the workers themselves. Se several well-known uh, technologists have, have publicly announced uh, their concern for safety and security of these systems. 
So I, I am very hopeful that we as a society will uh, become much more uh, receptive uh, in, 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 in how we use and how we develop and how we deploy these systems in the future. Well, you know, ChatGPT was only launched in November of 2022, and it's only June. And look at everything, how quickly it's evolved in the seven, eight months it's been around. So what are your fears, you know, of the future? I mean, I, I like it. I play with it because I'm not doing it dangerously. I use it, you know, to help my speeches at my events and, you know, give me some new content. You know, I like it that way. But um, that's the fun way, you know, as you were saying yeah. before. But um, I know that, you know, a lot of the CEOs, you know, got together, you know, Apple, Microsoft, I, they were on one news station. And I think Elon, Elon Musk said, we need to slow it down. I'm like, well, it's it's too late. I don't think it's slowing down. So what what do you think that we're going to be see any sort of regulations or governance on it? Or what do you think is the future of chat GPT? I don't know what is the future of chat chat GPT, uh, despite the congressional hearings, etc. But I can speculate. Uh, but first, uh, this this uh, morning, just today, I was standing in line at my local grocery store trying to buy a sandwich and 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 uh, there was a woman next to me she and the and the person working at the deli counter uh, obviously knew her from as a repeat customer and he asked her uh, how was your uh, vacation and she said oh it was wonderful my daughter had a good time. She's so knowledgeable about AI. She was playing with chat GPT all the way. And, and this was, uh, I, 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 I have never seen this, this kind of interest and this kind of familiarity where normal everyday conversations are now talking about AI systems that, as you said, were, 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 were just deployed or, or, or were just introduced a few, a few months ago. Um, as to your question, uh, I don't think regulations are, are going to help. Uh, in fact, it might have the reverse effect where uh, the only people that will get uh, stopped are, are the legitimate uh, users. Uh, regulations don't don't uh, stop the bad guys or the malicious people or the bad actors. I think that we need to raise the consciousness level of society as a whole. And, and enough research and development effort should go into the marriage of security and, and security technologies and AI technologies. So, uh, there are a number of people who are, of course, interested in improving the state of the art as far as machine learning and AI goes. But I think there should be more interest also in AI and data governance machine uh, or uh, machine learning operations, uh, security considerations, etc., data governance considerations, etc. So I think that if we can uh, improve the awareness of the community as a whole to the security features surrounding machine learning and AI. Then, then that that would they they would go hand in glove with the with the development. I think that it is inescapable 
that machine learning and AI will continue to grow, perhaps not at the pace at which it, which it has been growing in the last couple of years. Uh, it has to slow down a little bit, otherwise it'll, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of scary fast at the moment. But Well, and it's scary also are all the fakes that are out there duplicating that they are chat yeah, GPT exactly. and there's you, you go on your app go on your apps and put ch chat GPT and there's thousands I don't I don't know the real number but I know there's just so many options for you and who are they and are they real you know they're not open AI they're just you know are they fake are they doing you know what's going to happen there somebody sends you a photograph today, um, how do you know it's real? <laughs> right. <laughs> Very simple. I mean, take the billions of photos that people share with uh, uh, share today and, and how many are deep fakes? It's crazy, yeah. So, so uh, when was the last time you had some uh, open source stuff that you could not sign on to because you were there was so much traffic at the at the website that you can't get in. Um, right. These, so these kinds of things happen. I I don't think uh, regulations will. I, I in 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 uh, my opinion, regulations will will make matters worse. I I I, I am not a proponent of regulations. I am a proponent of a more knowledgeable approach to all the other issues not just the development of AI and machine learning systems, but to the, but to the development of the surrounding issues uh, of the ethos in, 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 in some sense of, of, of the security and privacy and data governance, et cetera, that, that are just as crucial, perhaps even more crucial. Well, we are down to about a minute and a half left. Shamin, can you tell our, uh, our listeners you know how they can find you if they have more questions um just uh what's the best way to reach out to you uh shamim at safelyshare.com s-a-f-e-l-i-s-h-a-r-e.com uh works all the time uh please drop me a line uh good old-fashioned uh email uh the uh, safelyshare.com has a website and you can reach us through the website as well and I want to thank you, Kim, for being such a gracious host and, and for asking insightful questions. Um, it's very nice to be with you again, and I look forward to seeing you at, at some of your future future con events. Well, uh, Shamin Nakiv, CEO of Safely Share, thank you so much for spending the last hour with us. And we definitely would love to have you back on the show. Um, everyone, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Ant Security for All. I hope you all have a fabulous weekend. Stay safe and stay secure, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for tuning into Ant Security for All. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget, you can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakem. That's Kim, H-A-K-I-M, to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events.
Are you a cybersecurity professional that needs to earn continuing educational hours? FutureCon Events brings high-level cybersecurity training discovering cutting-edge security approaches, managing risk in the ever-changing threat of the cybersecurity workforce. Cybersecurity is no longer just an IT problem. To learn more about attending a virtual event, go to futureconevents.com or email info at futureconevents.com or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at futureconhq. Don't miss the weekly FutureCon seamless podcast series focusing on the insights and thoughts of chief security officers and industry pioneers making a difference throughout the world. Kim Hakem, CEO of FutureCon Events, and Darren Anderson, CEO and co-founder Next Robotics, host seamless podcast started by a team of entrepreneurs with experience in fields like smart cities, technology, cybersecurity. The result is a series of podcasts unlike anything you've ever heard anywhere. Listen where you get your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher.